Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. things. This is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom, and I'm glad to be here. Now, my my seat is empty over here. My my tra- longtime traveling companion, Monique Dusan, had a last-minute issue that came up in her family, and she's getting to do something Really fun and exciting. If you follow her on social media, who knows, maybe she'll post about it later in the weekend. But uh, she had hoped to be here tonight back from camp. If you want to hear about her camp adventures, you can check out the family meeting from Thursday evening. But at the last minute, she flew to Atlanta. So we have a wonderful co-host joining me tonight, the lovely and gracious Laura Powell from Women in Apologetics. Welcome, Laura. I've been a guest on the show once before, and uh, of course, been a huge fan of yours and Monique's for a long time. So I'm excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, and uh, I think it'll be fun. I mean, I I, you, I think you're maybe only the second co-host I've ever had besides Monique. Uh, Rachel oh, wow. helped me do a show like way back in 2019, I think. Um, okay. So, uh, but it'll be good. I'm excited for our topic tonight, and I think it's going to be a good time. And Laura's had a long day already. What's been happening in your life? Wow. Well, I have been getting a home renovation, basically. Uh, not just because I was ready for a change or I like renovating. I really don't. I like things to stay the same. As long as they're clean and organized, I'm very happy but I had a cough for several months, couldn't figure out what it was, eventually realized it was related to some um, environmental issues in my house. And so I have had the air ducts professionally cleaned. I have had all of the carpet taken out. And today for about 12 hours now, there's been a team of volunteers from Samaritan's Purse uh, putting in new floors. I just, I cannot say enough about how wonderful and amazing Samaritan's Purse has been. This is the fifth or sixth time a team has come over here um, to my house, which is quite a distance away actually from their headquarters to voluntarily help me give up their Saturday. Usually they they bring their spouse and uh, we have some fun. I give, you know, I provide the the bagels and the pizza, and we get uh, a lot of work done. Now we should probably mention that your husband was with Samaritan's Purse, and he was. Yeah. So I'm sure that this is an extension of their love for for both of you. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So don't you know? Don't uh, listeners don't call Samaritan's Purse and say, yeah. "Hey, I, I hear <laughs> for home you guys do you know a free home <laughs> renovations." <laughs> that is not the case. Um, yeah. So uh, my uh, yeah um, my my husband worked for them uh, and passed away while working with them uh, while serving overseas with Samaritan's Purse, and they have continued to treat me like family and. Um, express their their love and appreciation for Scott um, 
by loving me well. That's wonderful. That's such mm-hmm. an encouragement to hear. And I know that you've been very impressed and grateful for all that uh, they've done to help continue your your husband's legacy, just even by investing in you. And that's mm-hmm. really what the body of Christ is all about. That's wonderful. Yeah, so absolutely. We're going to talk about a fun topic. I can't imagine a better person to talk to about evangelism than you. I've heard you speak about it a few times at the Women in Apologetics conferences over the last few years. And, um, you know, the Lord has really been putting it on my heart. Uh, I was telling you earlier today in December of last year, really starting to put it on my heart, uh, to do more related to evangelism, uh, on my channel. And so I'm really glad that we're doing this discussion and kind of getting that going a little bit, you know, we talk a lot on the show, Monique and I talk a lot about issues about public policy and public theology and advocacy. And we think that, you know, God cares about our souls. He cares about saving us, but it, 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 there's also this physical component God cares about too. And, you know, those, those things also matter. I know you have a little bit of a background in public policy, so you know, what are your thoughts about that? Do you think public advocacy has a role in the life of the Christian? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My undergraduate degree is in public policy and uh, I became a Christian. I, I, I heard the gospel, became convinced that it was true, uh, committed to following Christ at the end of my university career, um, about halfway through my senior year. And uh, and at that time, I developed a a passion for for sharing the gospel because my entire worldview, my entire life was uh, completely transformed by the gospel, by truth. As I was reading through the New Testament, my life was being transformed radically day by day, week by week. It was noticeable to the people around me, and um, and and I'm very passionate about evangelism, but. I have also continued to see the critical importance of of policy as well. Policy matters. Policy conversations are mad, uh, matter. Policy can create an environment where um, it's hard to share the gospel because there's a much higher cost. You could lose your job. You could uh, have your bank account shut down. You, if it's hard to be a Christian in the country or region where you live, there are going to be fewer resources that you have access to. Um, and, or policy can make it easier and more fun <laughs> to share the gospel. If you get to keep your job, that's a bonus. If you have access to more resources, it, it that can be a lot of fun. That can be really helpful. And I, you know, I've heard over the years from Christians, things like, well, if, if people just become Christians, then they'll just automatically know uh, what policies are good and what what policies are not? What are in, what policies are in line with the gospel and which are not? That has not been my experience at all. I have not seen people just automatically understand economics or 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 um, uh, or social policies or the the effects that they have, the impact they have over time on people's lives necessarily just from becoming a Christian. Yeah. So these are very, very important topics to talk about. I'm so glad that you talk about them. Uh, I talk about them and uh, on my my podcast, The Night and Rose Show. I also 
write about them on my my website, An Affair with Reason. Uh, however, I, I um, you and I have also talked about the reality that policy is downstream from the gospel yeah. uh, and that the biggest problem, our biggest problem is that we are in rebellion against our creator. We need a new heart. We need a renewed mind. And if we don't share the gospel with people, they may never hear it. Yeah. I, I think there's kind of two errors that I see Christians fall into or people who call themselves Christians is like, we only should focus on preaching the gospel. And that's the only thing we should do and completely mm -hmm. avoid involvement in the public square. And, and they, you know, label a lot of things as being, you know, too political and Christians shouldn't involve themselves in that. And so that to me is kind of one extreme that people can fall into. The other extreme is to think that setting policies and systems is the the only thing we should do, that somehow sin can be completely overcome if we just have all the right policies and systems in place. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't work either, because like you just said, the human heart is really the, the core problem. So when we think about, you know, both of these extremes, what we want to do is understand kind of in the hierarchy of priorities, preaching the gospel has to be the first priority, but that doesn't mean that thinking about how people live and justice issues don't matter at all. It's not an either or, but there right. does seem to be a priority. Right, right. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, I, I see um, policy as an, uh, living out of our Christian worldview, mm. uh, it, just as, you know, we, we wouldn't separate our work or how we do our work from the gospel, from knowing Christ, or, yeah. and we wouldn't separate the way we raise our children from the gospel, from what, what we know about truth. We, we wouldn't, uh, you know, the gospel impacts our finances. It impacts all sorts, every single area of our life. Yeah. Um, and so it also certainly must affect our policy, but um, our policy making, our policy discussions, our priorities and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but we are, we're commanded to go out and share the truth. We are um, that the 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 hands and feet of God, we are the ones who have been sent, who have been commanded to go. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I, I think, though, at the same time, there's another reality that we have to face. And that is that I think that, you know, we're going to have some real talk tonight about insecurities, obstacles, our own internal dialogue, things that hinder us from sharing the gospel, because Statistics are showing that the vast majority of Christians actually never share the gospel. Yeah. In, in fact, there's a growing sentiment that it might even be damaging to people to share the gospel because it's a form of colonization and it destroys culture. And, and you've lived overseas, you know, a number of times in different places. I, I think you know, there's, there's a lot of hurdles to sharing the gospel. There's the physical outside hurdles of a hostile culture, mm 
policies, laws might be in place in some countries that could hinder us. But there's also the internal hurdles of my own inner dialogue and and insecurity. Uh, do you find that to be true? Oh, absolutely. I I hear you know people actually. Actually, I guess it was maybe two years ago in preparation for a talk I was asked to give at the Women in Apologetics annual conference on sharing the gospel, having conversations with people, fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, in preparation for that, I asked, uh, I, I created a like a, a Twitter survey and I and I sent emails to some of my friends and and to various people, whoever I could think of, and it got shared pretty widely. Um, asking people what prevents you from sharing the gospel um, and the see if I can remember the um, the um, the top three reasons if I can remember them were um, uh, one I don't want to upset people and uh, have them you know lose a relationship or or friendship have them not like me over the gospel another was um, I don't know what to say. And um, another was, uh, what was the other one? Um, uh, it was, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. I, I'm afraid of people and like of their response. Mm -hmm. so I think those were the main two. I, there was one other yeah. one that came up quite a bit, but um but uh, it, and and then I kind of you know I hear these different ways of people that people seem to kind of justify not going out and sharing, um, saying you know well we're just really supposed to be liked, we we don't want to upset people we you know we want we need people to like us because if they like us then somehow they'll decide they like Jesus and then if they like Jesus then they'll just decide to follow him and so obey his command. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, this, this whole idea of not talking about anything controversial because we don't want to upset people seems to be really big right now. We've had even a, a lot of um, very influential leaders in within evangelicalism, uh, not wanting to talk about anything controversial and only wanting to, to, to really bash Christians uh, who, who are, um, holding to biblical truth and just point out what they do wrong, but never wanting to say anything opposed to the people who might really, you know, hate them or, or come after them or, or cause them to have some sort of price to pay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I want to, I think you've, you've done a good job of kind of giving the big picture there because I want to get into some of these particulars of what our hindrances are. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, we are live tonight. So if you have hangups and insecurities and issues about like why you don't share the gospel more mm -hmm. regularly, put those mm -hmm. in the chat. Like, let's talk about it. Let's, let's try to talk some of that through because, um, this is a conversation I really don't hear many Christians having, and mm -hmm. uh, we need to do more to help each other because the truth is, is that we live truly in a post-Christian culture. And by mm -hmm. post-Christian, what we mean by that is, as we were talking about earlier, of policies and laws and things that literally have put structures into place that go against God's creation design. I mean, mm -hmm. the issue mm -hmm. of 
drag queen story hours is not a neutral idea. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of castrating children is not a neutral idea. These things go against God's creation design. And so when we're thinking about, well, how do I affect these policies? Policies are only going to go so far. The big picture is people need changed hearts and we need lots of Christians understanding that living in a post-Christian culture means that a lot of these people need to get saved. There might Mm -hmm. even be a lot of people in our own churches who who are attending that need to get saved. Right. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And so when Monique and I talk about um, unity on ethnic, ethnic issues, when we say, you know, when people are like, well, how do I have unity with a non-Christian on ethnicity? We're very careful to say that's going to be very hard <laughs> because yes. God's plan for unity starts with the gospel. Right. And um, you, people have to have changed hearts. Mm-hmm. Policies will only take us so far. And mm-hmm. um, I think that this is very important that we understand that there's a lot of people even in our own churches that they go to church, but they don't really know the real Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, right. Right. Exactly. Go, I, go ahead. Well, I just, I, um, along with what you said, you know, I, I uh, tell people quite frequently that if you're learning everything you uh, know about Jesus, about truth, about the gospel, just from an hour on Sunday morning, you there's a lot more to be done. Uh, that's that's not what uh, God intended for us just to to go to church for an hour and then kind of close our Bibles and and go on with our lives, reading whatever other kind of popular culture magazines or or romantic comedies or um, romance novels or whatever are, are on the shelves. Um, but um, yeah, uh, it. It, it takes it takes a constant intentionality to yes. always be uh, 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 putting into our mind truth, and then the Holy Spirit does the transforming work as we are filling our minds with truth. That's so good. And part of what you're getting out there is having an integrated worldview. And in right. fact, we have a comment here from Haley, our our moderator tonight on YouTube. She says. One reason we have, one reason is that we have compartmentalized our faith as another quote unquote thing, like our job or our hobbies. And we Mm -hmm. have privatized faith to, to some sharing the gospel seems backward to our individualism. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really hitting on, you know, what, what you're saying there. And I think we have to get clarity on what scripture says. I, I, you know, maybe this would be a good moment for us to even share scripture because I've found in my own conversations with, with some Christians, they're not clear about what the Bible says about, about sharing the gospel or evangelism as we call it. Um, you know what I I'm going to share a passage that's meaningful to me. And then I'd love you to jump in and talk about a couple of passages 
meaningful to you that just to ground us in the scriptures, <laughs> the one I go to, and if people have watched my Theology Mom channel for more than five minutes, know that I talk about, you know, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 just all the time because yep. it's such a, a grounding verse. It happens right after the resurrection of Jesus uh, and right before his ascension. And um, I love what it says. I'll start in, in verse 18. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, being in, in this context, the 11 who are there, um, it says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And the, the thought in the Greek here is that therefore you go or as you are going and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is this is important because I want to draw our attention here. Bob's pulling it up on Bible gateway uh, to some of the key words here. First of all, we see that, you know, Jesus is King, you know, and this is a great theme of scripture is we see in all the way back in Genesis that God is the, the creator, the King. And then we see in Jesus's resurrection that he is the King over everything that all authority under heaven and earth have been given to him. And then if we were to go all the way to the book of Revelation, we would see God ruling and reigning for all of eternity. This idea of kingship is a thread throughout scripture. Then he says, therefore you go making disciples of all nations. And to be a disciple is to be a follower. It's to be a, a copier. It is to be mm-hmm. some, an imitator, you know? Mm-hmm. And so just as we are image bearers of God in Genesis 1, Now we are going to image Jesus as his followers and truly live up to what he created us to be. And of all nations, and the word there for nations is ethnos. That's where we get the word ethnic. And that that all ethnicities are now going to be invited into the kingdom of God. And so we have this gospel piece of baptizing them but also teaching them the discipleship piece mm-hmm. of how to obey. So when we're bringing the gospel, we're not just proclaiming the good news. We're also teaching and discipling people how to become like Jesus. And that's a verse that really grounds me and keeps me on mission every day of what am I supposed to be up to? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I don't know if you want to jump in or add to that. Yeah, I, that's one of my my favorite passages. Um, those are our final marching orders, right? I mean, that's what Jesus uh, commanded us to do shortly before His ascension to heaven. That's what He left us with, and so um, and it, and uh, as as you and I have talked about, and and I'm sure many others have have noted, it doesn't say um, go out and get people to pray a prayer and then move on. It says, make disciples, teaching them everything <laughs> I have commanded you. So it's, it's it's a whole lot different than a lot of the ways that evangelism is approached today, where you kind of, you know, you get people to raise your, their hand, maybe say a little prayer and kind of move on. Um, I love that passage. I will, um, since you, since, since you uh, talked about that one, 
you know, we we have orders to to take the initiative to go out and make disciples, like Matthew twenty eight says. To uh, for for sports fans, I guess maybe to to play offense, right? To look for opportunities, even to create opportunities. But we're also uh, called to ordered to we have orders to be ready on defense as well. Mm. And so to to maybe complement your passage, the passage that you talked about, uh, I will mention First Peter three fifteen, which is a favorite of of many apologists. It says, "But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect." So we are to be prepared uh, with reasons, with evidence. Jesus' first disciples shared eyewitness testimony. They performed miracles. Jesus performed miracles. Um, they they pointed out fulfilled prophecies, how, how Jesus specifically fulfilled prophecies. Of course, most of their initial audience were Jews. And so the so Jewish people were already um invested in and knowledgeable about, convinced of the reliability of the Hebrew scriptures. And so to to show them fulfilled prophecies was especially powerful. Um, we may not use those same uh, reasons or, or, or types of evidence, uh, although uh, perhaps we do at times and that, you know, that's great as well. But, but we have so much scientific evidence for a designer. Mm. Now we have excellent philosophical arguments for a creator, for a moral lawgiver. Uh, we have tremendous historical evidence for the resurrection, for the reliability of the scriptures. And so we need to be prepared to share the reasons for the hope that we have at a moment's notice. Um, that's really good. Now your podcast so. partner is on the chat. Mm -hmm. he, he's bringing up oh, another good. great passage. Uh, Wintry Night says a verse he likes is about being a good ambassador, 2 Corinthians 5.20. And that's also a, mm -hmm. a great passage too. Um, mm -hmm. Glad for him to jump in on that. So yeah, that's another great one. I love teaching on 2 Corinthians 5. There's so much richness in 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 that scripture. Um, mm -hmm. we're getting a lot of really good engagement on the chat. So there's a lot, oh, good. a lot of action happening there. That's awesome. Um, but yeah. I, I think that even though we're talking about, I love how you said that, like, these are our marching orders. This is what we're supposed to be up to. Even in that though, I run into these people sometimes who will say, and I don't know if you've ever heard this, people will say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, like the spiritual gift, or I just don't feel called to evangelism, um, how do you, how do you think about that? You know, cause there is a gift of, you know, the, the, the office or the, the idea of being the evangelist in, um, Ephesians chapter four. And yet mm -hmm. we all seem to have the command of Matthew 28, 19 and 20 and first Peter three, like, mm -hmm. how, do, how do you think about that? The whole gift of evangelism, I don't feel called Matthew 28. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, basically what I did um, was I just put together a list of the names and, and contact information of all my family and friends. And I gave it to my pastor and I was like, look, you're the pastor. 
I'm, I'm totally kidding. And call Chris, these people. Chris, and call fix, these people. Fix their unbelief for me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't feel called. Yeah. So, you know, you've... Uh, you must you must feel called because because you're the one because you're the pastor you're the pastor yeah <laughs> right. but you know I read some surveys in preparation for this that like over one third of Christians now believe that it is the job of the pastor to do the evangelism that wow. that's that's wow. a legitimate thing yeah so well I want to I want to um, all joking aside I, I want to comment on the feel called yeah uh, concept. I hear this all the time. It's so, it's repeated so frequently that every once in a while I'll even can hear my myself say it and go, wait, no, nix that. <laughs> but we we um there's certainly there's a there there is um such a thing as as calling. But if we are living by how we feel, um we're doing something wrong. We're we're foolish to live by our feelings to do what just what feels good and disregard what doesn't feel like something we're excited about and so often i find this this whole this uh feel called phrase at, to be used as kind of an excuse to or a, like a, a a justification or a god stamp on whatever i want to do and a way of getting out of what i don't want to do that is not always the case obviously that's not always the case this phrase is used so frequently um i don't mean to imply that that that's what everybody means by it or that sort of thing but i think it's worth reflecting on the the phrase and um and whether we find that in scripture and where where that comes from, Greg Kokel talks a lot about that. Um, give you a hint: the whole feel called thing is, is not is not scriptural the way it's usually used today. But um, Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples, regardless of how we feel about it. That's what he called to, called us to do. The, he's the boss. He's the creator. He gets to decide what the orders are, uh, and we get the privilege of participating in it. I'll say as far as a gift is concerned, you know, uh, uh, I used to joke around at a, when I was working at a church, when, when I would be asked to do something I don't, I didn't want to do, I would say, oh, sorry, I would totally do, do that and help you with that. But that's just not my gift. And, uh, and people would, you know, they'd kind of, I'd mostly said it to, to just get people to think about what, how do we differentiate between gift and um, what we are called to do, what we are ordered to, what we're what we're told to do in scripture. Um, and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, but yeah. I, um, but yeah, I, I, the, the word that's coming to me as you're talking there is responsibility. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. that, right. you know, the, the Lord has commissioned us with a responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if we right. fall into the, the pattern of saying, well, I just don't feel blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't put up with that with our kids. We yeah. say, you know, like, <laughs> you tell the teenager to take out the garbage and they're like, well, I just don't really feel like doing that. Mm -hmm. Like, no, wait a minute. Right. Let right. me explain. Yeah. I'm the parent. <laughs> I pay the mortgage and all the bills and all the things I'm telling you to take out the trash. It's, it's, it's not a suggestion. Right. And, uh, but this is part of our responsibility. Right. Um, yeah. And when followers. Right, exactly. And when someone when someone has a a certain a gift, spiritual gift, which which all uh, genuine Christians do, um, this we we have um, abilities that that come more naturally by the grace of the Holy yes. Spirit. 
Um, we have things that we enjoy more. Uh, we, we carry out uh, things that maybe we see greater results than mm. other people who may not have that gift. Um, it may be more central to our ministry uh, to, you know, if we have the gift of evangelism, maybe ev then evangelism would certainly be more central to how we spend our ministry time and resources, that sort of thing. Um, but when, but for people who don't have the gift um, of evangelism, the, the responses share the truth anyway. For people yeah. who don't have the gift of service, the the responses serve anyway. <laughs> You're not not. I don't mean in every single opportunity you're ever given or in every capacity right. that you'd go insane. That's not even possible. Uh, but we're all called to serve in some way, in some form or fashion at some point in time. Uh, for those who don't have the gift of, of um, giving generously, we are commanded to give anyway. And um, the way, and yeah, it, the, the way I think about that, uh, my friend uh, and mentor, JP Moreland, has mm -hmm. explained it this way is that the people with the spiritual gifts train the other people. Mm, it's not mm -hmm. exactly like you're saying, like, just because I don't feel like I have the, the gift of mercy mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I, I just don't have to be merciful to people. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so somebody who's truly has the spiritual gift of evangelism, which I would say my previous boss, Dr. Hugh Ross is the most gifted evangelist um, I've ever met in my life. And, and, how often can you say, you know, after working with somebody for two decades, this closely as I worked with Hugh, that, you know, the level of integrity that he has in sharing his faith is just uh, so high and so inspirational. But what he would do is teach the rest of us how to level up our game when it came to right. evangelism. And to me, that's what the purpose of the spiritual gifts is, is for equipping of the saints. So it's not that the person with the gift of evangelism does all the evangelism, mm -hmm. rather that the person with the gift of evangelism equips the rest of us to level up so mm -hmm. that we can obey Matthew 28, 19 better. That, mm -hmm. That's kind of how I think of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. I've never heard it uh, uh, phrased that way, but yeah, that that's really helpful. Yeah, yeah I, I was thinking when we were talking when you were talking about the whole kind of feeling called or that's not my gift sort of thing. I, one of my thoughts was, what if we said, I'm much like you said, I don't really feel called to feed my kids. I don't really feel called to stick with my husband in hard times. Yeah. I don't really feel called to keep my commitments. Um, what kind of society would we live in that then? And then my next thought was. Oh, like the one that we're living in. <laughs> <laughs> we're kind of our current reality. <laughs> yeah. So probably not that helpful, but. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to take a quick time out here and hear from our friends at Birmingham Theological Seminary. And then we're going to come back and talk about some strategies. There's some really good conversation happening in the chat about strategies. You and I have some thought about strategies. Our friend Candy, who lives in Canada, has some particularly challenging issues I think I want to have you share some of your experience in sharing the gospel in overseas contexts. So everyone sit tight. We'll be back in two minutes. Hi, this is Ike Reeder, president of Birmingham Theological Seminary. I am so excited to tell you about an incredible opportunity that we have here at BTS. BTS has long been committed to theology and the public square. And one of the most wonderful and amazing programs that we have 
is our Doctor of Ministry program for students that have already completed graduate degrees in theology in apologetics. And this apologetics program, there is a deadline for August 15th in order to apply for this program. So we wanna make sure that you know about it. This apologetics program really is a fantastic world-class program. Not only do we highlight the philosophical foundations necessary to engage in theology in the public square, but we also highlight issues of Christ and culture, moral theology, even how to build your own apologetic ministry. In addition, BTS is the most affordable program on the market at $200 per credit hour. But even though we're that affordable, we bring you a world-class faculty of thinkers and theologians that have been committed to lifelong ministry in the apologetics field. This program is fully available online with classes that meet via Zoom on a weekly basis, but you have to act fast because as I said at the beginning, the deadline for applications is August 15th, and we have two spots left to run this apologetic cohort. We would love to see you as part of the BTS program as we help you on your journey to serve Jesus Christ. And uh, fun fact, I, I'm actually in the Doctor of Ministry program in apologetics at Birmingham Theological Seminary. It has been such a wonderful journey. I'm about halfway through my program now. I'm super excited to share about the program and have you hear from Ike about it. And they're putting together a new cohort for the fall. And it's not too late to jump in. So if you already have a master's degree in theology, a master of divinity, this is definitely worth looking into because very few conservative seminaries have conversations about what's called public theology, which is basically how does theology apply in a marketplace context in um, thinking about topics Laura and I were talking about earlier about public policies. We're talking a lot about Christ and culture in our program so if you've been thinking about a doctoral program, um, might be a good fit for you, might be worth going to check out my friends at Birmingham Theological Seminary. Okay, so we're getting some really good conversation in the chat. Um, I want to go to a comment here from Candy. I'm hoping that Bob can help me find it back. There's a lot of activity there. Candy lives in Canada, and she says... In my experience, the topic of faith and spirituality just never comes up. So to bring it up would be incredibly random. <laughs> uh, sometimes I pray that someone will bring it up. And um, I know that when Monique went to Canada, she just said it's, it's, um, it is different up there. Candy continues. She says Canada is a different culture. We're so cautious to not offend people and we just avoid these topics entirely. U.S. culture is far more used to sharing their opinion. And I would just add to that. I don't know, um, Candy, how much you've traveled in the U.S., but there's, there's definitely places that are a lot more like Canadian culture. And so don't get the impression of Americans that we're all as brash and we're all the same. Like if you go to... Minnesota or Seattle, there's Monique and I have noticed a definite 
cultural difference in how people share and talk about their faith that's much more like Canada than, say, if you go to New Jersey or, um, you know, even somewhere in the South where people are have a lot more access to cultural Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, it, Laura, if you have any thoughts about that. Well, I have spent a lot of time in countries where you you'll get arrested if you just go up to someone and start sharing the gospel with them and you really have to look for an opportunity to um to basically give some give people just something to think about and I love the phrase that that Greg Kokel uses, um, put a stone in their shoe, you know, which is kind of, you know, when you have a stone in your shoe, you can't really think of much else um, until you until you deal with it. And I am always looking for opportunities to give people just something to think about. Uh, I'm I'm not usually looking for um, looking to like close the deal, so to speak, you know, where I get people to commit to following Jesus right then and there. But I will, you know, I'll listen for uh, like um, moral statements or claims or preferences, any sort of kind of moral statement. And even if it's like, um, you know, oh, I, you know, I, I can't stand such and such or so-and-so it's that's just wrong. Um, you know, I'll ask people, um, Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, what, what, uh, what's your, uh, your worldview or your, your faith background that you, that has convinced you that that's wrong. I'm not saying I disagree with you or agree with you about whether or not that's wrong. Uh, but, but, um, I'm interested in how you arrived at the conclusion that that's wrong. Or, or that you know, or that something is good, or something is beautiful, or or that sort of thing. Uh, I, I I often lately have been hearing the phrase uh, "don't judge," and you know, I'll ask people, um, uh, uh, yeah, just out of curiosity, why not? And they'll say, "Well, it's wrong to judge," and you know, I'll say, "Well, that's interesting." So. Um, what what convinced you that it's wrong to judge? There are a lot of different ways you could answer that question. Like, uh, you know, well, then why are you judging me right now if it's wrong yeah. to judge? Um, <laughs> uh, put it right back at them. But but uh, uh, that but I, I I'm more likely to say that when someone's being aggressive. Uh, if someone seems open to a conversation, you know, I'll ask them like, what convinced you that it's wrong to judge? And that can that can open all sorts of conversations. I um, something I've heard at uh, at CrossFit before is um, uh, is you're well, a big CrossFit per- person. Yeah. Well. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I'm. Uh, yeah. Several months ago, I uh, stopped officially going to to CrossFit uh outside to a crossfit gym and i've taken up taekwondo so i'm super excited about that i'm loving taekwondo so much and doing a lot of the crossfit movements in my garage that uh are not a typical part of a a taekwondo workout but uh 
Yes, I'm I'm active. I, I love um I love sports. I love um being active. I love you know that, all that sort of thing. So But I, I love, but I think that brings up an important but, point is that you're regularly interacting with non-Christians. Right. Right. And without I know a that doubt. that's something that my old boss Hugh Ross used to encourage mm-hmm. us as a staff. He says if you don't have non-Christians in your regular life, yeah. you need to fix that. He's like, you got to get a hobby. You got to do something, get a different mm-hmm. barber. Like you've right. got to do something <laughs> to be interacting on a regular basis with non-Christians. Otherwise you just get kind of this cocooning effect where, mm-hmm. you know, the only people you're ever interacting with is people who generally agree with you. And um, right. I, I think that that's, that's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. I saw CrossFit as uh, a, a primary ministry field, mission field. I saw just as uh, when I was traveling around the world, uh, mostly on uh, designated like mission trips for specific purpose. But even when I would go on vacation, that would be, that's always anywhere I'm going, anything I'm doing, anyone I'm talking to, anywhere in the world is a, a potential mission field. And um, yeah, so, so I'll, I'll actually give you a, since you brought up, uh, you know, CrossFit and Taekwondo and such um, just recently, just uh, last week, I had a belt test and uh, in order to get the next belt to pass the test, we had to know who the founder of Korea was and that um that uh, and we had to know the date 2333 BC and so i asked several of the kids who were also testing you know if they knew what BC uh means what it stands for what its significance is and they didn't know and uh so you know i, I explained that to them and asked them if they knew who jesus was and got all sorts of different answers. You know, one, one of them was like, I know who Jesus was because I went to a Christian school for third grade. Now I'm in fifth grade. So, and, but, but in third grade, I went to a Christian school. And, and so, uh, you know, and then, you know, I could ask him, Oh, what'd you learn about Jesus? And that sort of thing. It it's, I'm always, uh, I just, I, I think that it's, it's interacting with non-Christians all the time. Like you said, and like Hugh Ross says, and always filling my mind with truth and with reasons for trustworthiness in reasons that the truth is reliable reasons that um that uh intelligent design is uh backed by science reasons for the historical reliability of the gospels the resurrection whatever it may be but I want to go back to something you said earlier, and that is that you have lived in and sh- and shared the gospel in hostile contexts mm-hmm. in other oh, countries. Right. And I think this is a very important point because we don't want to fall into the mm-hmm. trap of thinking that as bad as we feel like our con- own country is in decline, there mm-hmm. are situations that are far worse. And you- you've you've lived and served in you know a lot of contexts where sharing the gospel is, you know, not completely legal or accept socially accepted, Mm -hmm. but it's still our responsibility to be in that risk. Mm -hmm. Um, So talk to us a little bit about that, because I think if we can understand that if as, as much social pressure as we have in our own context, 
we got to keep things in perspective to right. what Christians are going through in other countries. Right. It doesn't, exactly. it doesn't abrogate our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, several, uh, uh, I guess accounts, uh, situations, conversations are coming to mind from Afghanistan right now, actually, because, uh, you know, when you talk about a closed country, a difficult country, a country where you could get in a lot of trouble. I mean, it, you, legally, you're allowed to answer a Muslim's question if they ask you about Christianity. But if the Muslim, if a Muslim then goes in and tells the authorities that, uh, you know, that that you are that you are actually taking the initiative, they'll they, they'll just put you in jail, even if you were just answering a question. Um, but um I I remember uh, several conversations. One of them that was a lot of fun was I asked a couple of girls I was spending time with. So I so I helped um, I helped teach English at a, a school for girls. Um, it was the the time when the American military had been there and was still there, um, and so the Taliban was not in power, and girls were getting some very basic education. And I had a lot of opportunity to talk to the full-time English teacher and my translator. And um, I asked them, I just asked them, so, you know, tell me about your holidays. What kind of holidays do you all celebrate here um, in this country? And I'd ask them about the meaning of the holidays and what they liked about the holidays and that sort of thing. And then they asked me about my holidays. So this is something that, I, that I'll often do. I'll ask people with genuine interest and desire to get to know them. I'll ask them questions that I would be excited if they were to ask me back. You know, so 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 in asking the about their their holidays and what they mean, what their significance is, and and all of that, I was hoping and excited when they asked me what you know, what my favorite holidays are and why. And so I took the opportunity to share about Easter and why, you know, what that, what that means, what the significance is and that sort of thing. And so in a, in a conversation disguised as what's your favorite holiday, I was able to share the gospel in a closed country where you could be put in jail for that. Uh, That's pretty creative. So Uh, yeah. In, in, uh, in, in the U.S., I like to ask people if they've read any good books lately. A lot of times people will just will, you know, return with, you know, the, even if it's just because they don't know what to say, don't, <laughs> they, they'll often reply with uh, after they answer, you know, well, no, but I've seen some good movies or yes, this is what I'm reading or whatever. They'll say, well, how about you? And I make sure that I'm always reading something from the Bible and something apologetics oriented. And I'll talk about uh, something that's really, truly interesting to me about, um, you know, the the argument for fine tuning or about cosmology or about uh, the resurrection or things like that. And so um, so I, I really think it's about being around people, uh, um, interact, having opportunities to interact with people who are not Christians and uh just trying to get to know them filling our minds with truth at all times so that and and christian worldview i think is absolutely huge uh 
the seeing how Christianity applies to every area of life, as we've talked about, including policy and all of that has been really uh, significant in my walk with, with the Lord from the beginning. And I think this is a big part of why I, I, we could talk about any topic. You could ask me about anything that's going on in my life and I could kind of seamlessly get it to something related to um, either, you know, an apologetics topic or, um, or a, you know, a, a, uh, moral issue or even straight up t- to the gospel. Um, but that so. takes a lot of strategic thinking of, you know, when mm-hmm. the, someone asks me an innocuous question, I'm sure. already strategically thinking like, Hmm, I wonder how I can, what my answer might be that I can eventually possibly, if the conversation goes well, tie it into the gospel or something or mm-hmm. something even just related to my faith or an evidence that that's there's such intentionality that I hear behind that. And, and um, Dan uh, Chung is on the stream. And I, if I remember right, Dan works in um, like a high tech industry. Um, I met Dan through my previous job at reasons to believe. And he says he lives with Afghans and Indians, a lot of diverse worldviews around him. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's important to have a posture of, learning as Mm -hmm. a bridge builder to somebody from another culture or another religious context, which is what I hear you saying there where you were having the conversation about the holidays Mm -hmm. with your colleagues overseas. You're, you're just basically taking a posture of learning about their culture. When I talk to a person in my life uh, that I'm close to, who's a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I don't, I don't lead with like, here, let me tell you everything about why you're wrong. I lead with questions that offer that person an opportunity to, to educate me about their, their position or their religion. Cause you can't even really assume that the person you're talking to has a consistent worldview, even within their own worldview. Right. Um, Cause most Christians don't have a consistent integrated worldview. And so, you know, I'm asking him, you know, Hey, what's your view on this issue of, you know, how do I get into God's good graces? How do I, how do I um, think about who God is and, and how do I think about what humans are? I mean, these are very foundational questions but then it creates an opportunity for him to ask me for clarity of, right. you know, well, what's your position about that? And it doesn't always happen every time. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's two or three conversations later where mm-hmm. we might turn the tables and get into, you know, my position. But but that's mm-hmm. where I'm always thinking in my strategy is I want to stay in relationship with this person. So mm-hmm. my goal isn't always to win an quote unquote argument with this person. It's to win the next conversation. It's mm-hmm. to stay in relationship so that the relationship can continue to birth other conversations down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really important point too, because I know a lot of people will uh, try to, 
tell people every single thing they know in the very first conversation. It's what I call the water hose effect. We're just going to spray people with a big stream, like all the truth, all at once. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Until they slam the door on our face or whatever. (laughs) We don't want to be doing that. We do not want to do that. Yeah. And, um, and what I find too, is that, um, the people who, you know, something else I, I mentioned, I've mentioned Greg Kokel a few times, and I think he's done a really great job of putting to words things that I have uh, developed as convictions over the years, um, even before I had uh, read some of his work. Although, you know, uh, his book Tactics is absolutely phenomenal. I recommend that to absolutely everybody. Um, but Uh, He said, one thing he says is that he says, I'm looking for the people who are looking for me. And um, I think in, um, I mean, I think it depends, you know, there are, there have been people in my life for 30 years, 20 years, 40 years who, um, you know, I'm not just going, I'm not just going to like give up on them because they don't express tremendous interest right away. But uh, I'll often kind of just uh, kind of throw something out there, leave it for people to either follow up or um, in, or a lot of times, sometimes people will just change the subject to make it very clear. They don't want to talk about that. Um, Like when people ask me, sometimes people ask me, what I do. Yeah. I'll ask people. So, you know, I CrossFit, what do you do when you're not here? Uh, what do you like to do for fun? And, or what do you do for work or that sort of thing? And and oftentimes they'll ask me. And of course it's, um, that's kind of an easy end for me because I, I tell people, you know, I share evidence, scientific evidence, historical evidence, um, philosophical arguments for biblical Christianity. And some people, a lot of people will respond to that in a way that like they, they want to have a conversation, whether it's aggressive, like uh, sometimes people will say, Oh, so you're one of those bigots who who like hates homosexuals. That's my problem with Christianity. You know, that's sometimes I'll get that, but I'm excited to have that conversation too, because uh, um, I'm not going to escalate. I'm going to bring it back to, um, well, uh, uh, what I, what I'll say, you know, what I come back to is, uh, is there a creator? Is there a God? Is there evidence for God? Because if there's not, then, uh, then what I, you know, then, then it doesn't matter what the Bible says. Right. But if there is, and if he is, if, if the, if the true God is the God of the Bible, then the creator, the designer, the sovereign one, uh, knows what works best and gets to kind of, you know, make the rules, if you will. It's a, I, I don't get to decide whether, um, you know, homosexuality, for example, is right or wrong. Uh, I'm not the creator. So what, so, so let's talk about evidence for a creator. And if there is a creator, then we ought to find out what he says about specific issues like the one that you're concerned about and that, kind of that's take- such a, but it's such an interesting answer of asking someone so what do you do when you're not here or mm-hmm. you're basically asking them like what are your hobbies yeah. and 
then when they ask you, your answer mm-hmm. is, oh, I enjoy sharing, right. talking to people about evidences for biblical Christianity. I'll bet that takes people off guard because- Oh, then, it does. Yeah. You know, <laughs> because they've asked you a question and you've provided an answer. It's not like you're- you're forcing right. it on them. They there was a they invited something, and your just answer was highly unexpected. But I can imagine that that opens some doors for you. Exactly. Um, and speaking of scientific evidences, your friend Wintry Knight said that uh, he has texted the um, Joe Rogan podcast with um, Stephen Meyer to basically all his friends to <laughs> yes. you know invite them to listen to it. And, you know, that he's willing to be in a conversation with them about it. But I thought, wow, what an interesting evangelism tool. Uh, Here is a prominent Christian apologist on arguably the largest podcast in in the country um, talking about biblical Christianity. I mean, what a great opening. Um, yeah, for, for I've people. actually received several emails this week. I I was not as on top of things this pa- the past couple of weeks as wintry night um, because of all my house disasters and such. Um, I I would like uh, that's such a great idea to to text that out or to send that to to our to friends. But I've actually been contacted. I have several emails in my inbox <laughs> waiting for my replies from people saying. Hey, uh, I've been wanting to talk to so and so for years about the gospel. I've been wanting to share the gospel or, you know, talk to them about spiritual things. And uh, and then suddenly this week, they were like, "Hey, did you catch the Rogan show with uh, that uh, you know that Christian science guy?" And you know, referring to, to yeah. Steve Meyer. And so they're writing me saying. So what do I say? Like, <laughs> there are people are bringing it up. People yeah. are saying, uh, apparently there's evidence for Christianity. Uh, there's, there's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, um, and, you know, found Stephen Meyer very persuasive as, as I have as well. And but that so goes people- back to your point earlier from first Peter about being right. ready right. to give a defense, like the time to, Monique always has a say, and I don't know, this could be a saying in the black community for all I know, but she was always saying, get ready, stay ready, you know, that okay, yep. you're the, the time to get ready is actually before you need the thing. Right. And then you just stay ready. And so that's why mm-hmm. us as apologists, we're always trying to kind of bring these things to Christians awareness. Cause you never know when Stephen Meyer is going to pop up on the Joe Rogan show. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If only, if only, people could just see that a few years down the road they are going to desperately want answers and they should start looking for them now um i would i would just love for that to be the case because i encounter so many people who really could not care less about apologetics about the you know about um defending the faith and that sort of thing until their children, their their children start to ask questions or walk away from the faith yeah. um, until Stephen Meyer shows up on Joe Rogan and <laughs> there yeah. and uh, and suddenly people who didn't want to talk to them about that before are now asking them questions and they're going, oh, I don't know. I'd never thought you were going to actually ask me about it. Right. <laughs> so well, I want to talk about a couple of 
common, I, I'm going to call them pitfalls. So I'm going to have spoiler alerts here that like, I, I'm not such a fan of these approaches, but maybe we could talk about a very common approach that's out there in the churchy land of a strategy to share the gospel. Well, let's just love people. Let's not actually focus on too much content, but you know, let's just focus on loving people. This is how we share the gospel. What are your thoughts about that? Or do you ever run into that? Am I the only one that's heard that? <laughs> I hear this all the time. And it seems like it's become more and more common as the culture has shifted in the last few years and it has become unpopular to be a Christian. And um, and there has, be, there has developed more of a cost, uh, certainly in certain circles and certain fields of work and um, and uh, circles of friendship and things like that. Th- that is not the, that is not the gospel. That is not taking Matthew twenty eight seriously. That is, and for one thing, you know, I, I will often ask people when they tell me, "Well, well, I just my preferred method is to just love people." I'll often ask. Christians, um, what they, uh, how they would define loving people, what that looks like, how that practically gets worked out. And they will talk about, you know, encouraging people, affirming people, uh, making sure people know their love, they're cared for, that, um, uh, that they know there's someone they can talk to. Well, Monique heard this at camp just last week and somebody said, well, you know, I'm concerned. Maybe we shouldn't really talk about sin too much. We should just talk about what we're for, not what we're against. And this (laughs) is kind of another variation, I think, on that theme of, well, let's not let's not accentuate the negative. Let's just provide care, concern, encouragement, acceptance, all of that. That's usually what quote unquote, love looks like for, for mm-hmm. many people. Yeah, exactly. And it's just not, it's not a biblical definition of love. That is more of a cultural definition of love. And it most certainly does not, as I said, uh, uh, that does not meet the the command to uh, share the gospel, to, to make disciples of all nations, to, teaching them all that Jesus has commanded us. Um, it, there is a, there is certainly a time and a place for encouraging people. What I've seen though, sadly, is that this whole concept of affirming people even goes, uh, beyond affirming what is good and right and just and beautiful and goes into even affirming sin at times. And then we're in really dangerous territory, but even when we're just not willing to go there to talk to, you know, to uh, to say anything at all about sin and we just affirm people or encourage people, uh, we, you know, we are, I, I would say that is actually failing to love them well. If, if, if there is somebody in my life who I care at all about, and I know that they are marching toward an eternity of separation from God. And I don't raise that and give them 
and make a case for a better way and make a case for the way to be forgiven, the way to be reconciled, the way um, to to live a even even a, to live a a um, purposeful and fulfilling. Uh, life, and, and I don't mean by that easy or things or, or comfortable or things go our way or God gives us what what we want, but uh, to to live um, uh, with a purpose, knowing that that we that what we are doing matters and has eternal consequences, and that we're part of what of what of God's story and what He is doing. Um, if we don't, if I don't tell them that. And I just allow them just to to keep marching toward separation from God. I don't know how you could possibly make the case that I'm loving them. Yeah, in so. fact, there's a there's a famous viral clip of um, oh, who's a Gillette? He's that atheist. Yes, yes, and yes. and he says, you know, I don't really take Christians seriously when they say that they love me because they truly love me. They and they truly believe what they say they believe. Then they would try to warn me that I was going to hell and be, they don't warn me. And right. I thought, wow, that's a very interesting <laughs> perspective. And um, Bob and I attended a church very, very, very long time ago uh, when we were first married briefly where the pastor had this kind of this approach of, of what he called the gospel side a or part a. And he was like, well, you know, you just have to really focus on sharing God's love with people. And I, and so I asked him like, well, what point do you get around to like the gospel part B where (laughs) you're going to talk to people about their sinfulness and the holiness of God and that these two things can't go together, you know? And he's like, oh, well, you you only do that, you know, like maybe if you, if you have to use words to explain that, you know, it's kind of way down the road. I'm like, well, this is a highly interesting evangelism strategy, but it's, you know, I, I think we it's have very convenient. to, yeah, That's it, what it's it is. very convenient because then nothing controversial ever has to be confronted. Mm-hmm. No, you know, and if this idea of like, well, we're just going to love people. We're not really even going to use words. We're just going to like somehow by osmosis share <laughs> the gospel. I, I just, I don't really know how that works in the real world, but um, mm-hmm. in the world that I live in, we have to use words and say some hard and awkward things at times. Mm-hmm. But right. um, yeah. you know, kind of the other thing I want to ask you about is that I think is sort of a common pitfall is understanding the difference between sharing our personal testimony and sharing the gospel. Yeah. I think that those two things often get conflated. And so they, we think that, well, if I share my personal testimony of how I came to faith, that's a way of sharing the gospel. And that's actually not true. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, when, when we, uh, when we share uh, the gospel, we are sharing with people that there is uh, a maker, uh, a creator, a sovereign Lord he has um, good and, and excellent praiseworthy objectives for his creation, for his people. And we, uh, when we're not uh, 
uh, living out those objectives, we are essentially saying, forget you. I'm going my own way. I don't care that you made me. I don't care that you are Lord. I don't care that um, I owe my my life and my breath to you. I don't like your way and I'm going to go my own way and forget you. And we, we owe a moral debt to our creator uh, from, you know, um, uh, from the way that we have, have, have lived at, you know, all of us have sinned, all of us have at some point, I, and I've actually, I don't know that I've ever actually had someone uh, need to be convinced that they've never, ever done anything wrong ever. <laughs> um, and so if we agree that there is some, some sort of debt to be paid, uh, then it is, uh, it, it is just to, to pay that debt. It is unjust to, um, to allow those, those debts to go unpaid. But the good news is that God is both just, and he is the justifier. So <laughs> while we can't justify ourselves, you know, um, uh, uh, and he is just in demanding a payment for our debt, for our sin. Um, he is also the justifier because, because Jesus as God, as the second person of the Trinity went to the cross to make that payment himself on our behalf. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Um, and that is, uh, sometimes that can be wrapped up within a personal testimony, uh, I, I, and sometimes people just think that sharing their own story of, you know, uh, their lives is kind of, you know, is sharing the gospel, which it is not. There's a difference between sharing our story and sharing the gospel. But like I said, sometimes they're kind of wrapped up together. Uh, when I used to share, I used to share my, my personal testimony a lot when I was, um, a young Christian and, uh, and I, I've actually heard hundreds, literally several hundreds of testimony of personal testimonies, because uh, it largely because I worked, I've worked at uh, Christian ministries where that was kind of a normal part of uh, one ministry in particular, we had like 20 new interns come in uh, three times a year. And anytime we would have new staff, new interns, anyone new, everybody would share their testimony, their personal testimony. That's, that was what we did. And, um, and then I've also been in churches where we were told, you know, we need to kind of put together a personal testimony and be ready to share it. And what I, what I, it, it usually seems to follow kind of a pattern of, uh, these, these personal testimonies that I had a problem, <laughs> God, God solved my problem. And so now I believe in God and, or, or now I've decided to follow God. And this gives the impression that, we are we are right to just do whatever works for us rather than whatever is objective rather than following what is objectively true it also i mean that does not accurately represent the promises of hardship and persecution from the bible right it um it it it, it feeds into the idea that that worldview beliefs that our convictions that are that our um, religious convictions are just about whatever works for us and um and act, and it, it gives people the impression as well who hear these stories i think that um that that god is all about just 
um, making things work out for us the way we want them to work out. And so I actually know, uh, I, I have not, I'm not still in touch with all of those hundreds of people whose testimonies I've heard, but I know uh, several of them who have actually walked away from Christ when things stopped going their way. And as I thought about it, I, I realized, you know, I probably shouldn't be all that shocked because as I recall their testimony, their personal story of why they decided to follow Christ, it was all about how um, they had a problem. God solved their problem for them, made things start going their way. And that's why they decided to follow him. And so then naturally, when when things stopped going their way, I, I shouldn't be shocked when when they walk away from him. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I and I don't want to bash all all sharing of stories. There is absolutely a time and a place for sharing our story with people. I I have, um, I've seen tremendous, I've seen the Holy Spirit do tremendous work in people from my sharing vulnerably, authentically um, with people, but it's not a substitute for sharing the gospel. I have come to believe that it's far more important to share, uh, uh, to share the gospel and to share evidence for the gospel that, that, rightfully gives the impression that I am making an objective truth claim that I'm not just telling you about something that works for me. Yeah. And I, I think the way that I thought about that is, and I love that they just kind of shared the gospel in a nutshell there is the difference between objective and subjective truth. Mm -hmm. So the facts of the gospel are objectively true. They're true mm -hmm. for everyone in all times in all places. There is mm -hmm. something that is true that is outside of us. Mm -hmm. Sharing your testimony is a subjective truth. It is something mm -hmm. that is our personal experience of where we had our own Damascus Road encounter, maybe with the real Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not lost on me that... Um, the person in my life that I interact with in my family, who's a LDS member has a personal testimony. Right. And that is a, a foundation of his faith. And so then we just get into a battle of my testimony versus his testimony. Right. And ironically, there's some interesting overlap between our stories. Right. And so that can't be, you know, because then you start arbitrating, well, which of these stories is true? And, you know, which one of them reflects a true religion? This mm -hmm. is why we have to get to objective truth. And so I think it's important for us to be careful not to collapse our testimony with the gospel and to understand the difference be between those two. Right, right, exactly. And um, yeah, I, I have... Uh, Muslim, I, I have asked Muslims, you know, how how did you come to the conclusion that Islam is true? And they will say, uh, they will share their personal testimonies. They have personal testimonies that have convinced them that Islam is true. I have talked to Mormons who have told me their personal testimony that convinced them that Mormonism is true, LDS is true, that, that um, uh, 
people from all different backgrounds have personal testimonies. I've shared my personal testimony and had people say, I'm so glad you found something that works for you. You know, um, what works for me was actually leaving church and becoming an atheist. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, that going to church works for you. That's really great. Uh, another, another story, probably the one that kind of hit me the hardest was when I shared uh, my testimony with a coworker one time and, uh, and I shared my, my test, you know, my story involves a kind of a supernatural experience, a, a Damascus road type encounter. And um, his response was, well, you know, I asked God to do the same for me um, because I hear you Christians talking about, you know, you had the supernatural encounter and you now you know it's true and God did this and God did that and he showed up in this way. And um, so he said, I've asked God many, many, many times over the decades to um, give me one of those amazing supernatural testimony experiences. And that hasn't happened. And so either uh, Christianity is not true and you all are crazy or God just doesn't like me for some reason. But either way, Christianity is obviously not for me. So, uh, yeah, I don't I, I, you know, I can appreciate your willingness to share your story with me, but it means nothing to me. I mean, that's that's what he said to me. So uh, and and I started thinking about that and uh realized, I mean, this, this person had had, he was raised in the church. He was, um, he has had abundant opportunities to investigate the truth and the evidence for the truth. It's been put right in front of him, but he has basically told God, if you don't give me this, some sort of um, radical supernatural experience that will blow people's socks off when I share the story with them, then I don't believe you're real. And I, uh, I don't want anything to do with leaving people with that impression either. Yeah. I think, and this kind of leads me to our final point. We got to start the wrap here. This has been a fun little jaunt uh, mm-hmm. through evangelism and the gospel, but I think, you know, we would be remiss also in uh, not at least bringing up the fact that I've made mistakes in in sharing my faith. I'm sure you've made mistakes. And sometimes, you know, you hit a dead end with somebody kind of like what you just described there, and it becomes a learning experience. I know that for me, um, one of the, uh, going back to Hugh Ross, I, I know I've brought him up a few times tonight, but he taught me a lot about evangelism. And one of the things he taught me was about feedback from, from non-Christians. And I just thought in the beginning, that was the most peculiar idea. You're like, why do I need feedback from a non-Christian? I'm the person with the truth. I'm on the truth side <laughs> of the ledger. Like, what do I need this for? But, um, you know, thinking about a scenario like you just described, that's some feedback. And right. that probably made you go away and think about, hmm, maybe I need to be more, have more discretion about when I'm going to share my testimony and when I'm not, but even when mistakes are made, um, the Holy Spirit still has his way and and can do things 
in the midst of our mistakes. And, you know, we can feel like I've been in situations where I felt like I bombed. Like I felt like I was really trying to share something important and it, it just felt like throwing a ping pong ball at a wall and it just bounced right back to me and nothing happened. And then the person goes away and then like months or even years later, they come back to me and said, you know, I still remember this conversation that you had with me about X, Y, Z. And it was so, such a changing moment for me in my journey. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I, I, I just felt like I totally bombed that conversation. So even things that might seem like mistakes to us, the Holy Spirit has his way. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you want to share any uh, scenarios where you felt like you bombed. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'd be more than happy to. Um, but before I forget, something that you said that may be an encouragement to others reminds uh, reminds me uh, or something you said reminds me of something that may be an encouragement to others, which is that I actually um, became a, a a follower of Christ, became convinced of the truth of the gospel um, as a result of my interactions with an atheist who uh, he an atheist professor at um, at Duke University, where I went, where I did my undergraduate degree, and his objective, the professor's objective was throughout this New Testament course, which I just took because I I kind of prided myself on being an, an intellectual <laughs> and uh, and I had absolutely no idea what the New Testament was or what it said at all. I thought maybe it was that, you know, book people on TV sometimes open and start singing out of, you know, hymnal. Um, but I had no idea what it was. And so I, I took a course to um, kind of round out my my education. And this professor said that he was going to show us throughout the the course that the the new testament is a hot mess it is not a reliable guide for your life it contradicts itself all over the place and uh, we would have to write essays on where these uh, contradictions were and things like that in order to pass his class which was fine you know i wasn't a christian i didn't whatever okay sounds good to me let's do this i want my a and i want to know what the new testament says but um, but he had us read the New Testament so that he could show us the problems with it. And as I, um, it, it's a you know it's a whole long story. But I but that is what the Holy Spirit used. That was what the Holy Spirit used <laughs> to get my attention. And so you know I tell people sometimes who are really who are beating themselves up because I used to just beat myself up over. Um, any missed opportunity or misstep or anything that I thought I should have said differently or I could have done better, which is just about all the time. <laughs> um, uh, but I used to beat myself up over that stuff. And then I remember back to how the Holy Spirit used an atheist who hated the truth, uh, who was trying to convince me that it was a bunch of nonsense that contradicts itself surely the Holy Spirit can use my um, very intentional, committed uh, efforts in wholehearted desire to be a part of the good things that he's doing in people's lives. My desire to 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 be ready uh, to give a reason for the hope that I have to 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 um, be a part of making disciples 
in all nations and teaching them all that that Jesus has commanded and all of that surely the holy spirit can can use that and in fact he does you know having having been sharing the gospel for decades now uh, i do people do come back to me now and say oh i remember this conversation we had in you know 2005 it was so meaningful for me and often i uh, i won't remember the conversation or i may remember it as something you know a time when i really failed um mo- i would say most of my mistakes or and failures have been not saying anything at all mm-hmm. because um i didn't know the right answer or i didn't i uh, didn't want to look foolish or or yeah. um for a variety of reasons but um at, at some point in my journey i decided that um that instead of just beating myself up over um and, and just saying you know you're such a failure you have just you know you you'll never be any good at that at this um my approach became to be <clears throat> um asking questions to to better understand people's position when i didn't know when i didn't know what to say just you know if i could think of a follow up question like oh explain what could you explain what you mean by such and such better or you know, try to summarize their uh, what they've what they've said or asked me or that sort of thing. Just trying to to gain understanding, ask trying to gain understanding of how they arrived at their conclusions. Like I've mentioned a few times, a lot of times the Holy Spirit just used that. But I would take the next step and then and go home and think about and read about from others um, uh, how how others have responded, how I could respond better next time I hear that same sort of argument or statement or that sort of thing. And so I've been very intentional for for many, many years now about uh, every time I have a spiritual conversation, I'll kind of replay it in my head and say, how did that go? A lot of times I'll call a friend and say, hey, I had this cool conversation. Um, you know, what do you think? What would you have said in this situation? Um but I'll process it. I'll think about how I'd like to respond next time. And and now at this point, it's very rare for me to be caught off guard. It still happens at times. And so I, you know, uh, I've also learned to to humbly say, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I've actually never heard that objection or that you know that before. So, yeah. but I'd love to think about that and get back to you because that's really interesting. And that, so. That's- um, yeah, that's really good. That's I've used that approach many times as like, you know, okay, I think I just hit a wall. I don't know what to do. And I can say, well, let me think about that. You raised some really good points I haven't thought about before. And that's always good. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Laura, for doing this. Tell us once again about your podcast and how people can follow your work uh, yeah. and the work of Wintery Night, who's been on very active on our chat tonight. Thanks for adding value there. Uh, so tell us a little about your podcast, how Excellent. people can find you. Great. Yes. Well, um, uh, as you mentioned, I have a, a podcast with Wintry Night called The Night and Rose Show. That's K-N-I-G-H-T and Rose Show. That's available anywhere you can find podcasts. It's also available on YouTube. Uh, although um, uh, we don't uh, show video, we do um, we do have a, our graphic up there. And we talk about worldview. We talk about apologetics, reasons for the hope that we have, questions we've been asked and how to, how to respond. We, we discuss 
um, policy. We discuss uh, relationships, economics, all different sorts of issues, because as we've said many times tonight, Christianity is not a prayer you say, it's not a Sunday morning service, it is a comprehensive worldview. And so uh, we have a lot of fun, we equip people for all kinds of adventures, we share our adventures. And so we would love for you to uh, have a listen to that podcast if you if you like it. Um, leave a five-star review, share it with your friends. Uh, I also have a blog um, called An Affair with Reason. You can um, you can get there from either laurazpowell.org or anaffairwithreason.org. Uh, let's see. I work with women in apologetics. Yep. And we have lots of great resources there. And as you mentioned, uh, uh, Wintery Night, um, he actually also has a blog, winterynight.com. So... Very good. Uh, check out any of those resources. If you're particularly interested in Islam, I've created a 20 lesson course on Islam that's available through womeninapologetics.com as well. Yeah, well, um, I'll make sure that Allison gets all that in the show notes so people can find links to everything. So thank you so much for doing this. It's uh, been a, a great little romp in talking <laughs> about evangelism and the gospel. And uh, hopefully we can continue these themes uh this provided a good foundation for us is to continue continue to develop strategies and that sort of thing so thanks for Absolutely. staying up late and hanging out with us oh it's my pleasure thank you so much for for giving me a call uh yeah it's this is one of my favorite topics it's something yeah. i'm very passionate about it's it's um and so it's something that i'm more than happy to talk about anytime so thank you very so good. much yeah it's been great well friends that's it I'm on the wrong camera. Here we go. And uh, it's been a great show. Thanks for watching. God willing. And if the Lord agrees, uh, Monique will be back next week and we will be live. And I think we're going to have two or three shows in a row before we go out on the road again. But we've got some great stuff. I know in August, Christopher Yuan is coming on and you won't want to miss that. I think we're also having a show related to human trafficking inspired by recent uh, conversations surrounding the movie Sound of Freedom. So we've got some great content coming. Make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter at allthethingsshow.com and you'll receive alerts when we're going to be doing a live show that week. And with that, I will say good night and God bless. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.